Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm having a great kind of day because I have an award-winning author here in my studio, and I could not be happier. But before I introduce her, I'm going to ask you this question. What if we stopped placing our confidence in the things of this world and instead put our trust in the only one who is truly trustworthy? Now, that's a great idea, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but Many of us have a confidence problem. So we've got some fears, some insecurities, and maybe some self-doubt. Well, we're going to get that all ironed out today. Mary Cassian is my guest. She's an award-winning author and international speaker. She has published several books and Bible studies, including Girls Gone Wise in a World Gone Wild, Conversation Peace and the Right Kind of Strong. Her new book is called The Right Kind of Confident, The Remarkable Grit of a God-Fearing woman. She's the keynote speaker at a conference in town this week in Eden Prairie. Fortunately, it's available online, so you would be able to uh, register and start watching tonight. It's tonight and tomorrow. You can go to gatheratgrace.com. I'll say that several more times between now and when we stop, but gatheratgrace.com. Mary, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so you were in town for a couple of uh, very important days because Mm -hmm. right now, you're talking about the right kind of confident, and I'm, I want to hear more. The right kind of confident, yes. yeah. Uh, that's that's the title of my latest book, but it ties in to the conference theme that we'll yes. be going to. And the conference theme is Battle Ready, How to Be Ready to Face the Battles. And I think that especially in our COVID culture, you know, we're still not rid of the COVID uh, in in many ways in our society, so I think that there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of lack of confidence. That you know we've taken a hit. These last two years have been tough, and I can say that as a Canadian. Um, I'm here from ca- Canada, and it's been extra tough up there. It's been yeah. really really tough. Like we couldn't tell. Like you couldn't tell. You <laughs> probably heard on the on the um, news, you know, with the trucker convoys yeah. now and and protests and and where I'm from, my province of Alberta that's been uh, particularly intense. But there has been a real hit that we've taken Mm -hmm. in terms of fear. And really, when you talk about confidence, fear is the arch enemy of confidence that that when uh, you know regardless of what your confidence battle is is if if it's you know oh no what's going to happen how am i going to manage this how are my kids doing i'm facing really difficult things in my life it, it's always really a, a confidence battle is a battle with fear that you're you're fighting against those fears in your lives and insecurities so when a woman perhaps if if she's in the workplace and she feels that she has a lack of confidence she doesn't walk walk into the meeting she's feeling a lack of confidence what is actually her problem is that she's having fears and doubts and insecurities that are uh, plaguing her or making her think oh I'm going to fail you know I'm going to fall flat on my face I'm going to be the laughing stock or this isn't going to work same thing you know in your personal life is if you have 
kids or, or, or um, you know, in your marriage, if there, if there are challenges, relationship challenges, you can have a lack of confidence in terms of those relationships as well, where you are facing fear, you're battling fear, and it becomes the enemy of moving forward confidently mm-hmm. um, and calmly in your relationship. Yeah, that's, that, that is a... Um spot on thought because I know there's so many people listening right now that are thinking, Ooh, she just described me. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think we. Ju- I think I just described all of us. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I, I think actually it is. It's an ongoing battle, and I think that's. I, I mean, the world tells us that we just need to dig deeper into ourselves. That mm-hmm. we just need, you know, the way we become more confident is just to believe in ourselves more. That's your your little yeah. formula right there, yeah. right? Is if you need confidence, we'll just believe in yourself more. Mm-hmm. And if you believe in yourself more. You know, hold your head high, power dress for the situation, have a good posture and just act confident, then the confidence will come. And that's kind of the formula, the way to become more confident. Mm -hmm. But it is not the formula that the Bible presents to us. The Bible presents to us that, that confidence is actually tied to where you put your faith, where you put your trust. That's confidence. And the reason a woman might lack confidence is because she's putting trust in her own ability, but she's feeling that she does not have the ability that she needs for that particular circumstance, or she doesn't have the resources or the time or the energy or the know-how or or what she needs to successfully face that battle. And so confidence really is looking at shifting. And the Bible's view of confidence is that, you know, you don't need more self-confidence, girl. You don't need more confidence in yourself. You need more confidence in God. And when you place your trust in someone who is trustworthy and who is all powerful and who has the resources that you don't have, then you can have confidence. And it's uh, it, it, it's confidence where you, you have a security in the Lord. Mm. And that impacts I guess what a lot of people would call self-confidence. It's, uh, I think the self people, some people say, oh, well, you shouldn't talk about self-confidence, but I think it's a, it's a valid thing to talk about because we feel it in ourselves, right? That's where we feel the confidence and whether, regardless of where we are putting our confidence, I mean, we might put our confidence in money. We might put our confidence in friends or in that we have the right connections or that our health is good. But the Bible tells us all of those sources of confidence, it has actually an, a fascinating um, picture, image. It says that's like leaning on a spider's web because those things can give way. They can let you down. And the only source of true confidence is when we put our confidence in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mary Cassian is my guest. She's a very gifted writer and communicator. And I'm so excited that she's in town for a conference, a women's conference which starts tonight at Grace Church in Edina. And I only um, want you to know that if you physically can't be there because you don't live in Minnesota, you can go to gatheratgrace.com. The conference tonight is called Battle Ready Conference. And you can head right to gatheratgrace.com and you can be in the front row seat in your living room uh, watching Mary and Laura Perry will be there as well. That's right. And in fact, if you were in your living room, you might as well grab a couple girlfriends 
um, and you can. I think there's a there's a there's a fee for registering. Yeah. So then, if you got four or five friends, you could split yeah. that, and it becomes very very reasonable. And it's a great tool in order to unpack the teaching and to be able to talk it through afterward. Yeah. So gather your friends and have some fellowship time, and and there you've got a great uh, community for discussion. So. Uh, Mary, let's uh, talk about a battle strategy. Battle strategy. Well, for every battle, the battle strategy that you you need to face is you need to face your battles the way the Lord wants you to face your battles. And the the theme verse for the conference is Second Corinthians chapter ten, uh, verses three to five, four and five. I think it's four and five, uh, where it says that that we do not fight the weapons of our warfare. Uh, are not the same sort of weapons that the world uses, but that we, our weapons, have divine power to demolish strongholds, and then we take captive every thought to make it obey Christ, and we we are are able to take down the strongholds of thoughts and ideas uh, and every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So it's a very powerful verse, and actually the strategy that, that it presents is a strategy where the battle that we fight really takes place often on the battleground of our minds that we're either going to we're going to see victory or we're going to see defeat and it's not a battle that's out there but it's a battle within so it's a battle in our thinking our attitudes our thoughts and then of course those impact how we respond to whatever situation we're in so uh, you know, for your listeners, whether you're you're going through a battle where you're facing a really ugly situation in your relationships, if you have a prodigal child, if you've just gotten a diagnosis, or maybe you're facing the prospect of losing your job because they're asking you to do something that that you don't want to do, regardless of what your battle is, is that battle is going to be fought on the battleground of your mind. And you need to be thinking the way that the Lord wants you to think in truth, and then that will equip you to respond the right way. So I think the first thing to understand is that there is a battle going on all the time between good and bad, um, between evil between and righteousness, and between uh, the powers of heaven and the powers of hell. And that, that battle is going on and it rages. And we don't often, some, we sometimes forget about that. We We forget that you know, ordinary life is actually a battle all the time because there are uh, cosmic powers that are vying for our attention. You know, the Lord wants us to to pay attention to him and to do things his way and to focus on truth. But the evil one is also vying for our attention and is constantly whispering lies and deception. And so, you know, whatever idea can captivate us, will will determine whatever idea captivates us determines whether or not we're going to be successful in the battles that we face. Mm. Mary, give me an example of of going to battle with maybe the wrong kind of weapon versus the right kind of weapon. Oh, well, there are lots of uh, good examples of that. If you go home and you're aggravated with your husband because he's, uh, or aggravated with your spouse for you male listeners, uh, you know, because, because your spouse is really irking you. Um, and I would say that the wrong kind of weapon would be going 
I have a right to be angry. I have a right to lash out. I have a right to retaliate. I'm going to hurt him because he hurt me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to scream at him and yell at him. So that's kind of a, a worldly sort of perspective on it and a worldly <laughs> Um, that's the right weapon, yeah. okay? He we pulled. The, a, we he, call that the pound of flesh approach. <laughs> absolutely. You know, he got his pound of flesh, I'm going to get mine. Yeah. He pulled out his sword, I'm going to pull out yep. mine. And what the Lord would tell you in, in terms of being battle ready in a situation like that would, would go, you know what? Um, Bible says you return um, good for evil. You don't return evil for evil. The Bible says you are equipped your weapons of righteousness, you're equipped with kindness. You are equipped with patience. You are equipped with self-control. When you go to God for those things, in that moment of battle, in that situation, God's going to give you the right weapon. And the right weapon is not the weapon of the world. So it's not the weapon of, well, he's mean to me. I can mean mean back. The right weapon is the weapon of kindness, the weapon of um, truth and love, and the weapon of of doing things the way that the Lord wants you to do things. Mm-hmm. Mary Cassian is my guest. She's an award-winning author and speaker, and she is in town all the way from Canada uh, as the main speaker at the Battle Ready Conference, which is tonight at Grace Church in Eden Prairie. So for those of you who do live in the area, you could get over there as early as tonight. Start at probably 7 o'clock, I'm guessing. And for those of you who are in other parts of the country or the world, you can uh, go to gatheratgrace.com and you can uh, take this in online starting tonight. And there is a, a fee for it just to let you know, but maybe you can split it with some of your friends and you can gather and have some fellowship and discuss and process what Mary teaches tonight. But you can go to gatheratgrace.com and it's the Battle Ready Conference. After a short break, we'll be right back with Mary Cassian. A book, several books, but um, one she has written most recently is called The Right Kind of Confident, The Remarkable Grit of a God-Fearing Woman. She's in town tonight to speak at the gatheratgrace.com. You can head there for the Battle Ready Conference. So if you go to gatheratgrace.com, you can check the box for the Battle Ready Conference, and it'll lead you to all the information you need to know. It's available to watch online. There is a fee, but it's well worth it. All right, Mary, let's go back to um, some of the things we talked about just prior to the break about strongholds and, and using the right weapons for the, the, right, uh, the right kind of situation. Right now, there's so many crazy cultural things going on, mm. and we're up against that as well. Not only personal things, but cultural things. Mm-hmm. How do we mm-hmm. work through that? Well, uh, I, I'm just going to pick up on the word that you said there, strongholds, because I think that, that the whole concept of a stronghold is a really important concept. And the the uh, theme for the conference, Second Corinthians chapter 10, talking about tearing down strongholds, mm-hmm that stand in opposition to the knowledge of God. That, so basically strongholds that are set up against, to keep people from seeing God's truth and to keep people from obeying what the Lord would want for them. And uh, so Satan will whisper deceptive things and he does that through ideas. So the, the whole concept of stronghold 
um, a stronghold is where you run to to be safe. It's your safe spot or or it's your default setting. It's a place where you, so there are two, like there's a physical stronghold, what a stronghold is. You know, you can maybe think of a medieval castle or a bunker or somewhere where you go, you know, to lock yourself in and lock the world out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but metaphorically, and this is the strongholds that they're talking about in Second Corinthians chapter 10 that Paul talks about. It's a stronghold in our mind. So it's, it's an idea or a thought or a concept. So that's what a stronghold is. This is an idea or a thought or a concept that keeps you kind of locked into this one particular place or way of thinking. And Satan wants to trap us in strongholds. So in ways of thinking... And in ideas and ideologies that set themselves up against the word of God. So going back to what you said, yes, culturally, that is a huge thing. And I think there are cultural pressures on us uh, all the time through, you know, television. You, know, you watch your news, you, you flick, flick on even a talk show for most talk shows or go to your college campus, uh, listen to a professor, go to work, go to wherever you are, there are ideas being pushed. You know, watch Netflix, you watch TV, whatever it is, there are ideas that are being pushed. And Satan wants you to, to, to take you captive and to push wrong ideas that really are a stronghold, an idea that will take a grip of you to keep you from seeing God's truth. And those are the strongholds that we need to tear down. And I know culturally we see so many strongholds right now, just in terms of ideology, um, that, you know what, God's ways are too restrictive, you know, we can do what we want, um, that, you know, in terms of sexuality, in terms of morality, just in terms of everything with regards to life. And we're going to be unpacking some of those also at the conference, some some of the cultural strongholds where that want to get a grip on us, ways of thinking that are not according to the Word of God, not according to the Bible, but there's such a cultural pressure to conform mm-hmm. and to accept those ways of thinking. Could you tease one of those out, Mary? Well, we're going to have Laura Perry at the conference, and Laura Perry actually... The Laura Perry? The Laura Perry. Oh, nice. Yeah. Google her. Yeah, Google her. Google the Laura Perry. Uh, Laura Perry uh, lived transgender uh, as a transgender. uh, So she lived as a man for nine years, uh, the whole gamut of what that meant. And you can go to her testimony to, to unpack that. But the thing that I think is important with having Laura come is just is getting an understanding how for how cultural ideas and trends and things that are happening in culture can sound so compelling and can lock us up so that we can't see truth so that you know there there's actually a deception that's going on and to keep us in bondage to keep us in the stronghold to defend that idea and to buy into that idea even if that idea is not in line with the word of god so we're going to see that through Laura's testimony and talk about that but then bring that into the context of how to be battle ready in all areas, like in our personal lives, in our lives um, out there in the world, and in in every battle that we might face where we are able to uh, take our thoughts and make sure that our thoughts are in line with how God wants us to be thinking. Mm -hmm. And this is a women's conference that starts tonight. It's called Battle Ready Conference at Grace Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, but you can also go to gatheratgrace.com. Mary 
Cassian is the main speaker. And Mary, one of the things I get quite excited about hearing you speak tonight is the opportunity that these women will have over the course of the weekend to to undo some of these strongholds. Exactly. To have this open heart surgery where these things will get cut out. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's and that's, you know, second Corinthians ten. It says tear you know tear them down. Tear them down. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, out, that the weapons yeah. of our warfare, they're not like the world's, but they have divine power to tear them down. So I think there's a supernatural power. There's something that happens when we go to God's word and we say, yes. And when we do that, when we unpack God's word and we say, okay, yes, there's something extremely powerful. And all those strongholds begin to tumble. They start, they start crashing down all those ideas that we have in our heads uh, and, and our eyes are open and we begin to see, you know what, this is not in line with what the Lord wants for me. Mm-hmm. Mary, when you do other conferences like the one you're doing tonight and you have a room full of women, what would you say would be maybe the number one battle most women would agree that they're facing together? I think that I think that most women would say they are battling with their emotions mm. uh, in terms of just responding to situations, whether it's a heartache, uh, a relational challenge that they're facing, challenge in their jobs just to keep their emotions. Anxiety is a big one, and it, it all, often ties back into the being fearful, stressed, anxious, and we're going to be talking uh, a lot about that also uh, tomorrow morning in the first session. So I'm really excited about it. They, uh, Gather a Grace, they do a top-notch job of conferences. I go to a lot of conferences and they do an amazing job. Great group of women there and just committed to the Lord, committed to the ways of the Lord. And it's a, it's a fun conference. The women are friendly. So even if you don't know anybody, you know, feel welcome to come and you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, that's a a great point. Uh, Yesterday on the show, we, we talked about how important it was to welcome the newcomer. Mm. So maybe you can't come with a girlfriend or maybe you can't have a couple of ladies that you can go to the conference with. They would be very welcome to come by themselves. Absolutely. And they would be welcomed uh, in a big way. So how many uh, sessions will you be presenting? I'm, I'm presenting one session tonight. Okay. And then uh, two sessions tomorrow of teaching. And then there's one interactive session with uh, women who have faced various battles in their lives. So all ages... Uh, and kind of types of women and different battles that they have faced. So it's kind of a Q&A and interactive session. So we can learn from women who perhaps um, are different than us, or perhaps we go, oh, yes, I relate to that one. I have faced that battle. So the the women on the panel will be talking about various battles that they faced. And then we'll be doing uh, a little bit of a flavor of cultural battles and with Laura Perry, Mm -hmm. and she'll be speaking and we'll be unpacking that also. Will there be some worship as well? Awesome worship. Is there? Awesome, awesome yeah. worship. I love the worship at, at uh, Grace when, when I go there. It's just, yeah, there's going to be yeah. some really good worship. They've got a top-notch band, and yeah. uh, we're just going to be able to sing our hearts out. Yeah. Do you guys need a radio host slash security guard to be there? Because <laughs> if you do, I know somebody. You are welcome. Okay, good. Thank you. I'll take that as a yes. Mary Cassian has been my guest, and she is, of course, in town for a fantastic conference tonight. It's called Battle Ready Conference. And you can go to gatheratgrace.com to learn about it and to maybe even get some lady friends together and watch it and process it together and let go of some strongholds. Mm -hmm. Mary, thanks. 
Thanks. Good to yep. be with you. Yep. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back with Dr. Greg Heddington as we're starting the first chapter of Peter. It's all next. my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington, who took on uh, the book of John, and he worked us through the book of John. We concluded the last time he was on, and I, I gave him a full 30 minutes off before I said, what's next? And he said, First and Second Peter. So we're going to do a, a nice overview of First and Second Peter. So um, if you have your Bibles, get them open to First Peter. Dr. Greg Heddington is a friend, a Bible teacher, uh, has done tremendous work with missionaries around the world, and I'm always glad to have him on. Greg, welcome. Bill, thanks so much. Yeah. So let's Well, welcome to the first uh, in our series of selections in 1st and 2nd Peter, and this first lesson is entitled An Overview of the Letters of Peter and it's all about the resurrection. So, for the first uh let's just start off. You know, the last few years in America, we've we've been suffering through some unusually tough times. We've had the COVID pandemic, which has been disruptive and taken so many lives. Violence has escalated in many cities. Fires and weather have been destructive. It seems like we are polarized on almost every topic. And then again, of course, there's always the personal tragedies that we all suffer. Well, how do we counter what seems like one bad news day after another? We need hope. Mm. There's an ancient Roman expression that is still quoted by some people today, and here it is. While there's life, there's hope. Well, like most adages, it has an element of truth, but it's not the fact of life that determines hope. Hope only arrives when we are connected with the author of life, the master of the universe, none other than the Alpha and the Omega. It's then, as Peter writes in chapter 1, verse 3, that the believer not only hopes in hope, but has a living hope because our hope is in Jesus the Christ. And Peter will also talk about suffering in his letters quite a bit, yet it is this living hope that is the major theme that runs throughout Peter's first letter. But before we look at the letters of Peter, let's consider this. If you're taking notes, and I encourage that if you happen to not be driving, if you're not uh, driving, this might be a good stable time where you can uh, write things down. Roman number one, it's all about the resurrection. Now, I know some people who say, if I'd been around Jesus when he was on earth, it would be so much easier for me to follow him now. <clears throat> really? After three and a half years of following Jesus, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied that he even knew him. And most of the apostles were ready to go back into the fishing business. Of course, that was before Jesus came back from the grave and overcame death as he promised. Yet even after Jesus spent another 40 days with his disciples after the resurrection and was about to return to heaven, this is what it says in Matthew 28, verse 17. Quote, 
When the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what? Really? Is that in Scripture? Yes, it is. And it took the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in the form of fire over their heads to get their attention before the Twelve committed their lives to Jesus. So, what does that mean for us? <clears throat> it means we're already ahead of where all of the Jesus' disciples started out on their journey. We already have the opportunity to know the power of the risen Christ in our daily lives as soon as we trust in him. Therefore, is it really such a surprise that we might know, and I know personally, four people who were three years old when they started their walk with the Lord, and that faith, in their cases anyway, has continued to grow for them as they have matured into adults. So how is it that the attention of even a three-year-old is drawn to Jesus? G.K. Chesterton, the brilliant British writer and journalist, was standing on a London street corner when he was approached by a newspaper reporter. The reporter said, Sir, I understand that you recently became a Christian. May I ask you one question? Chesterton replied, Certainly. The reporter said, If the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? Chesterton looked the reporter squarely in the eye and said, He is. Now, is that response by Chesterton merely a figure of speech, wishful thinking, perhaps a bit of pious rhetoric? No, if we're a believer, this truth is the most real fact about our life. In fact, it is our life. The same Jesus who sweated and walked the roads of Judea and Galilee And some of you have visited Israel and seen the place where Jesus walked. That same Jesus is the one who stands beside us, before us, around us, and within us right now. Of course, through the form of the Holy Spirit, the the Trinity, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We can look at the tomb of every great leader in the world and see where he or she is buried. But what about the tomb of Jesus? Well, you can look at the tomb he occupied for three days, but no tomb could hold him down. After all, follow a dead God, and you'll end up just like him. Follow a living God, and you'll end up just like him. Jesus is alive today, and when we say yes to him, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Really? Am I making that up? No, it's stated throughout the New Testament, and one of the clearest passages is Romans 8, verse 11, which says, The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Again, through the Holy Spirit. That's the promise to all Christ followers. So the resurrection of Jesus is much more than just a past historical event. It is a living reality And that's what turned Peter's life and the apostles' lives upside down. And it's also turned the lives of over 2 billion people upside down in the world, including mine. This truth is simple enough for a three-year-old to understand. But as we read Scripture and grow in our faith in Him, 
it gets richer and goes deeper, more intimate and more powerful the longer we know him as we make that difference and that decision to follow each day. It's not about information. This is an important one. It's not about information. It's about transformation of the heart. Now, let's look at, if you're taking notes again, Roman numeral 2, the Apostle Peter. The author of First and Second Peter identifies himself as, quote, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And although some scholars have questioned whether it was Peter who wrote First Peter, and we'll look at some of those comments in a few minutes, those arguments are really not very persuasive. And like all scripture, these letters are the living word of God. And that's how I refer to it, the living word of God, God's word. The letters of Peter are called circular letters because they were intended to be passed around to various churches in the Middle East. His given name was Simon, which is a name of Hebrew origin, meaning the listener. But Jesus changed his name to Peter, a name of Greek origin, meaning rock. In Scripture, he's also sometimes called Simon Peter, And that's kind of interesting because those two names suggest the two natures of a believer. First, his former name, Simon, who was prone to fail and not even live up to his own name as a a very good listener. And then with his new name, Peter, he would live up to it as the rock of the first believers after the resurrection. Peter and Paul were the two leading apostles in the early church, as we know, as Paul ministered primarily to the Gentiles, and Peter went primarily to the Jews, as Galatians 2, verse 7 explains. Now, when it comes to the subject of composition and the substance of anyone who writes some writings at some point, or uh, they're mostly copying ideas of other people's books. It's kind of like the, the way college freshmen often write term papers. After all, freshmen haven't lived long enough and usually don't have much experience, so they often gather thoughts from the papers of other people. We might call that cheating. We might call that plagiarism. But they're just young. They haven't lived long enough to really know much. These two letters of Peter grew out of Peter living a very difficult life for the Lord. We don't know how many times he was beaten up and jailed, but we do read about some of those incidents in the book of Acts. He did not live in some ivory tower looking down on the people. He lived with the people he writes about, and some of those events are woven into the fabric of his epistles. Roman numeral three, authorship and miracles. I want to look at the issue of the authorship of First and Second Peter. Peter's writing in his first letter has been one of the most controversial issues among New Testament scholars. The composition in its original Greek in that first letter is so beautifully written that some scholars believe it was not written by Peter at all. Now his second Peter, excuse me, his second letter of Peter, however, is written in such poor Greek grammar that those same scholars have no problem assuming that it was written by a so-called, quote, uneducated fisherman like Peter, even Hmm. though we know the fact that Peter probably did take Greek 
like most of the world living in the first century. So here's the question. Is it likely that the Holy Spirit miraculously took over Peter's mind and quill and temporarily gave him the supernatural ability to write brilliant Greek in his first letter, but for some strange reason, the Holy Spirit left Peter alone to write his second letter, and that's why in the original Greek, before we translate it into the versions which we read today of Scripture, the Greek was originally so poorly written. Is that possible? Or is it more likely, more reasonable, to assume that Peter asked a trained scribe, like his friend Silas, to transcribe the first letter? We know that God is the ultimate author of Scripture, but God did use people to transcribe his living word. And we can confidently call Scripture, all Scripture, the word of God, and that includes, of course, First and Second Peter. Now, there are two points to be made here. Number one, we know the master of the universe can do anything he wants to at any time and is not limited to time and space. I mean, he's in charge of the entire earth. He, he, he runs the joint. Point number two, after studying Scripture for decades, I agree with the Bible scholars who believe that if God can use natural means and people whom he is also gifted to achieve his purpose, then God will typically use those means, like, for instance, medicine, instead of performing something supernatural that defies explanation. We call supernatural things a miracle, and the definition mm -hmm. of a miracle, if people are still using dictionaries, is, quote, an event in the physical world that surpasses all known or natural powers, and it is ascribed to a divine or supernatural cause. Now, Bill, I want to talk about this a little bit more next time after the break. That sounds great. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest, and we are doing an overview study of First and Second Peter. I hope you have your Bibles open, your notebooks out, and pen in hand. So have a sip of tea, and then we'll be uh, right back with Greg. so glad to be with my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington. We're starting a new study on First and Second Peter. It's kind of an overview, but so far, Greg, I'm loving it. Let's get back. Great. Well, Bill, we're talking about miracles, and uh, miracles used so often. I mean, I've heard people say, she called me. It's a miracle. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. That's not a miracle. Or my 85-year-old grandfather learned how to text. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that can be explained, but I like the, the definition is so clear, and I actually do use a dictionary that I pull off the shelf. I realize that kind of makes me old school, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm proud. A miracle is defined as an event in the physical world that surpasses all known or natural powers and is ascribed to a divine or supernatural cause. So a miracle is not something which can be easily explained. 
in this case of who wrote First Peter, it's it just seems more likely, more reasonable that Peter would make us uh, use uh, the fact and understand the fact that Silas, a trained scribe, could transcribe First Peter into better Greek than he ever could. I mean, he did not spend a lot of time doing a lot of writing. He was a fisherman. But this subject raises a much bigger issue regarding how God works in our lives. We are to pray for everything in life, as St. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6. As it says there, don't be anxious about anything, but what? In everything, pray. We also use the abilities he has given us to accomplish some of his plans rather than passively waiting around and hoping God breaks into our life like Superman and saves the day. Now, I have to say, I did used to read Superman comics a lot in the past. Bill, I don't know if you did, but uh, I discovered that in those comic magazines, no one really knew Superman except for Lois Lane, and that was that was always complicated. But this topic of waiting for God to show up immediately, like Superman, as we try to make a deal with God, is, is a real problem. God does miracles. He does do real miracles. But it's a problem for a lot of people. Let me give you an example of this. A few years ago, I led a group of people on a one-week mission trip to Costa Rica to help clean up a church that had fallen into disrepair. But before the trip, I told all the participants that it was important to show the love of Jesus to the church people by learning a few Spanish expressions to show that we cared for them, even though most of the time we would use translators. After a few days, it was clear that one of the men on the trip was not using any Spanish at all. So I said, uh, Chuck, did you try to learn any Spanish over the past few months as we prepared for this trip? He said, no. I said, is there any particular reason that you did not even attempt to learn any words in Spanish? He said, I prayed that God would miraculously give me the ability to speak Spanish when I got here. <laughs> but he didn't. Mm -hmm. And I said, Chuck, you could have at least learned some Spanish words to greet people like, uh, okay, I did not say that. Because yeah, because that's, that's French, French, isn't it? Yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah thank you're, you. You're, you're at least bilingual. I know that now, Bill. Right, right. Uh, in fact, I actually was not in the mood for humor at this point with Chuck. Chuck was relying on a supernatural intervention from God, which was completely unnecessary because he preferred to just be lazy. Again, I believe in a miraculous God who makes a way for his folks to work when there is no other way. And I've seen a number of times people who were healed instantaneously when there were no doctors available or even who were capable of healing them. I've got another example. I have a friend who was praying here in America for 10 months that God would heal him from cataracts in both eyes. They were not healed. After 10 months, before he went completely blind, uh, Frank went to a doctor who then performed the surgery, and Frank's eyes are healing, although at a much slower pace because he'd waited so long hoping for that miracle to occur, and his doc wasn't even sure he could 
take care of him at that point, but he did take care of it, and he's doing better. Now, he was not lazy. Frank's intention was to see God do a miracle and then give glory, all glory, to God because he's a sincere man and he trusts the Lord for everything. But was he bargaining with God? Was he saying, God, I'll totally trust you, but then you owe me a healing? I don't know. I I just don't know. I have another friend who told me, if I go to church every week and do the right thing, then God owes me a good marriage. I mean, he actually said that to me. A few years later, his wife divorced him, and soon after that, he left the faith. Wow. So what about this issue of making a deal with God? Saying something like, Lord, let's make a deal. I'll do this for you, and you bless me. Quid pro quo. Yeah. And what if we pray, but there is no healing? Scripture tells us we live in a fallen world because of sin, and there is sin in this world because our very first parents in the garden decided they could ignore God and be autonomous and make it on their own. It was then that sin and pain and death came into the world, and that's why we're born with it. We're born right into it, not because we sinned in the womb, but we're born into it. So if that which we pray for does not occur, we do not give up on prayer because we know that God knows every hair on our head. He sent his son to express the love that he has for us, and he knows our every need. He's in charge of all things because as the ultimate boss, if we are not healed, then he has another plan which he will look at, work out somehow in his divine purpose. Now, those plans are behind the eternal veil, which we get to see only glimpses of throughout our life. I have many stories about angels. I have many stories about demons, many stories about physical and emotional healings. I've seen them happen here in the U.S. I've seen them happen on many of my mission trips to other countries. And God sometimes lets us see miracles. <laughs> it's almost as if to remind us, as he says, yes, I am still involved in the lives of my people. But the rest of the time, when you don't immediately see the miracle, you will just have to trust me. You'll have to be faithful to believe that I want your best. As Romans 8:28 says, for those who love the Lord, all things work together for good for those who are called. So, we pray for all things in our chronological time. That's that means one moment after the next in chronology. And that's the time we live in. Even though God lives in what we call Kairos time, which is called God's time, and God always answers our prayer in his own time for his ultimate purpose. Now, the real frustration is when his answer he has three answers. He answers yes, no, or not yet. And the really frustrating one, of course, that we really question is when he says no, or he says not yet, Mm -hmm. because we want answers. We're Americans. We demand answers now. We do not know the answer to why so many things take place this side of eternity. But one day, we will know the answers. And everything in this world will ultimately work out according to his plan. And I have one final brief point, Roman numeral four, the transformation of Peter. 
the picture we get of Peter in the four Gospels is remarkably different from what we find in his two letters. In the Gospels, we see Peter as an impulsive, restless soul, sometimes fearless and sometimes a coward, even going so far as denying that he even knows the Lord. But in his letters, he is patient and loving with a courage that has been purified and empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. His life is a dramatic illustration, as is the Apostle Paul's, of the transforming work of God in a faithful human being. Now, here's, here's a quotation for us. The 4th century Archbishop of Turkey named Chrysostom wrote this, quote, Among the 11 remaining apostles, it was Peter who was the first to fail in his faith so that he would remember his sin and be merciful to others who failed in their faith. The Lord transformed his weakness in himself into courage and power to lead a miraculous life in commitment to the Lord. Now, what's the lesson for us from those words? We are to be slow to point the finger at other sins. Yes, we are to evaluate, but we are all sinners in need of grace, in need of another chance and another chance, in need of forgiveness. We can never pronounce the last word on anyone's life or write the last page on their story. There's only one job, God. And I end with this. It was the resurrection of Jesus and the ushering in of the Holy Spirit that turned the world upside down. Peter would never be the same, nor would the other disciples. As for us, when we know what we know, we can live a life of courage because, friends, after all, it's all about the resurrection. Yeah. Fantastic, Greg. I look forward to more of the, your study on First and Second Peter. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Dr. Greg, Greg Heddington has been my guest. Take a short break. When we come back, Unleashing Peace, Experiencing God's Shalom with Jeremiah Johnson. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.